Hello, hello, it's me, it's Al. How are you doing? It's the Weekend Check-In Podcast. I wasn't here last weekend, was I? Oh, I did warn you though, I warned you on the last podcast that I couldldn't be here last weekend. But I'm here now, how have you been? I've got so much to, do you know what actually, I've got, do you know when you've not seen a mate for about six months and then you just sit there staring at each other because you can't remember what you've told them and what you haven't and so you end up talking about nothing. I've been racking my brains here thinking, I've got loads to tell you but what can I tell you? Well, um, I've, I've, I've written a little list down. Okay, I've written a little list, so uh, <laughs> so I don't forget. I'm getting to that age now where I'm forgetting things. Are any of you at that age where you're forgetting things? You know, I I do so much exercise just walking up and down the stairs, trying to remember what I came upstairs for, thinking, oh, it must have been nothing. Getting downstairs and remembering. And so running upstairs quick and then forgetting again by the time I'm up. Do you do that? It, it keeps you fit, I think. I think as your mind decays... I think I think your body gets fitter in some ways. And speaking of getting fitter, by the way, I've um, what have I been doing this week? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I, I can I can just tell. <laughs> I can tell that you that that what I've been doing this week is the most important thing for you to know in this second, isn't it? <laughs> I've started running again. Remember, I said I was going to. <laughs> Do you know it's funny if you listen back to that podcast. What I predicted, as I said, I was thinking about going running again, is that my mother would be sat there going, Oh, his knees! <laughs> What's he going to do about his knees? He's going to damage his knees! And I saw her later that day after the podcast was, was released, and uh, that's exactly what she said. She said exactly that. She started complaining about the, the effect that it might have <laughs> on my knees. So, you know, I called her completely right, but, but, I've actually started with the running. So, today, it's, I'll tell you what time it is when I'm recording this, it's 11.13, how about that for accuracy? I could have said quarter past 11, but I could have even said 10 past 11, depending on which way I wanted to go, but that level of, of kind of casual accuracy, that's the kind of casual accuracy that'll miss you a bus, you know? If you think, oh, it'll be there a quarter past, but really it's there at 11.13. As you arrive at the bus stop, it's down the road. You've missed it. You've got a half hour wait. So so this is it, you see. It's 11.13. Not a minute later, not a minute before. Of course, the bus will be later, no doubt. Have you noticed this with buses, by the way? If you get there early, the bus is late. And if you get there on time, the bus is early. So there's like some sort of weird cosmic force just to guarantee that you miss the bus. I don't know. What's the world coming to? <laughs> I don't know what I was telling you now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been running. I've been running. So I started running on, it was either Monday or Tuesday. What was that day where it was lashing down with rain? And I think I did a coaching call with somebody online. And I did the coaching call all dressed up in me running gear. Um, and then the moment the call finished, I, I went out and I couldn't tell what the weather was like. But when I opened the door, it was absolutely pouring it down. And, uh, but I was at, I was past my point of no return. You know, I had all my clobber on. I, I was standing at the threshold of the door and I thought, sod it. And off I went and I ran and it was, 
I've done this before. It's called the Couch to 5K, the Couch to 5K program. You can get it on all sorts of apps. You can have a look at it if you like on the internet. But I've got this little app. Do you want to know what it's called? Let me open my phone. Here's the app I use. It's called Run Double. And it basically takes you through um, from sitting on the couch or chair. I mean, it'll work if you sit on a chair. The couch thing is just almost, you know, it's, it's a general thing. It's the sitting thing that's important. So if you sat there and you're like in a rocking chair or you sit in an armchair or, or maybe you sit on the floor if you're a student <laughs> and you might be thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. It does. It still does. Just think of whatever you're sat, sitting on as a kind of a metaphorical couch. And uh, yeah, so you go from that place where you, you're sedentary and, and you go and run. You go and run, and over a nine-week period, it gets you to run a 5K. Well, I've done this a number of times, and on, on the first week, it's always quite tiring. And my run is always kind of no faster, really, than my walk. Because what it does, it gets you to alternate, you see. A little bit of walking, a little bit of running, a little bit of walking, a little bit of running all the way through. And the idea is that you just get fitter each time, and you never get to that point in exercise where you think, you know, like after a bad night out on the drink, where you think, I'm never doing that again. It, it, it tries to get past that point. Well, I found it really easy. And it was particularly easy, I think, because it was lashing it down. Because, well, I don't know, really. I must just be fitter than I thought. But I've just been on a run, my third run of the week. So that's the first week completed. I've only now got eight weeks to go. So um, so that's good, isn't it? And my knees are holding up. You know, because they say running's bad for your knees, don't they? And it, it possibly is. But I've been fine so far. And I've tried to be running the old-fashioned way. I've got these really um, these really old Gola Active. I bought them ages ago, and I wish I'd bought two pairs, because what I didn't realise is that the, the, the trainer market is so fickle that nothing stays out more than about, about four days. You know, they create this thing. It must be easy to create a new style. And then they sell it, and then they don't do any more. It's like, uh, what, are them, what are them things that I've... Um, Oh, a firefly, that's it. It's like it's like a firefly's life. It kind of comes and goes. So I love these trainers because they were dare cheap. And I think the reason they were dare cheap is because they're just flat. So you get all these trainers now, and they're basically high heels in rubber, aren't they? And your feet are meant to be flat. I've spoken about this before. Your fleet, your feet, your fleet. Your feet are, are kind of evolutionarily architected to be the perfect thing to run on. I mean, that's what we were. We were we were kind of foragers and we would outrun animals um, when we were hunters. Of course, I'm a vegetarian now. I'd, I'd, I'd only try and outrun a carrot, which is easier, I find. I find it's much easier to outrun a carrot. They don't put anywhere near as much resistance <laughs> as, say, a rabbit. And they're quite quick rabbits. And I like rabbits, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything wrong to a rabbit. Um... Yeah, so I've got these these really cheap things, and they're dead flat, so it's as close to uh, running on your bare feet as you can possibly get with a trainer, really. But the problem is that they are genuinely falling apart. So, like, when it was raining the other day, my feet were sopping from about 10 seconds in because they've genuinely got holes in the soles of, uh, on the soles of my trainers. Do, 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 do. Um, was that the right song or am I singing a different Paul Simon? 
People say I'm crazy, I got holes in the soles of my shoes. Mmm, mmm. Yeah, he had diamonds, of course, but then his, his songs have done better than mine. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what I should try, put diamonds in the sole of my shoes. That That's the right one, though, isn't it? I've gone up a key now. <laughs> you can be my... Mm. I don't even know it. Shall I stop singing it? It's got, it's got the word Alan, though, hasn't it? It's got the word Alan. Yeah, long lost pal. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, anyway, I was saying my, my running technique. I'm going off on... A, I'm being very tangential this Sunday. I must be excited at speaking to you again, mustn't I? I must be all giddy. You know, like when, when, uh, when you go and visit a dog... And the dog's kind of yapping in the hallway. I'm, I'm the dog yapping in the hallway. Um, yeah. I do actually know the, the Paul Simon song, uh, Call Me Al, but maybe it's a post-run um, mind thing. Maybe my mind is genuinely going. Who knows? Um, yeah, I'm still talking about running. <laughs> I keep forgetting I am. But what I'm doing in terms of my technique, and I'm able to do this because I've got these flat, raggedy owled uh, trainers that ideally I'd replace with another pair of Goal Active, but I can't find them anywhere. Um, these exact um, type of Goal Active. But what we're meant to do, we're meant to run. Like, if you were to run barefoot, you would change your running technique so the heel comes down first. It's kind of our natural technique. And without these weird things that we imprison our feet in, these trainers, we would actually run like that. So, I'm trying to run a lot more according to the technique I was evolved to running. And um, so far, so good, touch wood. So, um, yeah, all the things that are meant to hurt when you go running are not hurting. And it's it's surprisingly easy so far. So uh, that's, that's, uh, that's good, isn't it? And it, it's good as well because I'm finding that my diet system... Is it's just not real. I'm, I'm, I've just been at this weight plateau for ages now. There's a couple of possibilities. One is that my scales are broke. <laughs> yeah, so that's one thing. You know, I, I, maybe I'm like eight, eight stone four by now, and uh, my scales just don't report it. That's one option I've not, I've not actually considered until this moment. But I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what else is going on because by and large. I'm only eating about 1,800 calories a day, which is enough to lose a pound a week. And I'm not losing a pound a week. To be fair, on certain days, I'm being a bit naughty. And I'm going over that. And I've come up with a, a tweak to the system. Well, one is, is to actually start exercising, see if that kickstarts my metabolism. But the second thing that I'm doing is I've decided now that what I was noticing is I'd started eating junk again. You know, little bits of crisps or... Um, and, and like chocolates, like Freddo's, Breakaways, and, and, and you know, these kind of things. Um, someone's going to tell me now I shouldn't be eating Breakaway. But uh, I do know that, but it was, it was on offer. <laughs> it was on offer. It was a quid. A quid for eight Breakaway. Who can resist that? Hey, who can resist that? I have my price. <laughs> so I was eating this junk, and what I noticed is when you eat junk, it doesn't fill you up. And so you can kind of keep on eating junk indefinitely in a way that you can't do with actual food. So here's how I'm defining food. Food is something that when you eat it, it makes you feel more full. And I'll give you an example of this. I, I bought, um, oh, where did I go? I was coming back from town and I, I just fancy, I really had a hankering for crisps. 
So I thought, right, I'm going to sneak into the co-op before it shuts. It was about 10 to 10, and it shuts at 10. So I, 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 got to, I went the way where the co-op is, and I, I dashed in, and I was looking at their crisps. And I'd gone in, I'll admit this, right, I'd gone in for quavers. You know, I'd gone in for quavers. I'd, 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 is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing to go in for a cheesy snack? I don't even like cheese. This is the odd thing. But I just fancied some quavers. Anyway, while I was there, they didn't really have big bags of quavers in the way I was wanting. So they had these funny little small bags. So I got some of those <laughs> anyway. But this is what I couldn't resist. I spotted a, a, an eight pack of frazzles. Do you remember frazzles? I didn't know they did frazzles still. And the weird thing is, when I picked it up, I saw this old, um, this this thing that took me back to my childhood. And it was the logo for Smith's Crisps. I didn't know Smith's Crisps invented. Do you remember when I was, I don't know how old you are, but when I was growing up, Smith's Crisps were it. Everything was Smith's Crisps. And then at some point, this unknown brand of crisps called Walker's Crisps suddenly started being in the shop. And the weird thing about them, by the way, Walker's Crisps, when they first came in, salt and vinegar wasn't blue. They, they started to, to mess around with the whole, you know, there was an ex, there's an accepted thing, isn't there? You know, the ready salted were red. Actually, were they red then? Or have Walker's changed that? There was a system, though. There was definitely a system. And cheese and onion was green. And salt and vinegar were blue. Well, Walker's just flipped that on its head, didn't they? Do you remember? They started changing the colours. And I thought, aye, aye. I'm not having this. I don't like the look of these people. These won't last long, I thought. <laughs> and so Smith's crisps were like the proper crisps, weren't they? That's what you'd get. You'd get Smith's crisps. And and Walker's was this kind of like, what, what the hell's this? What's the hell? What, what's this imposter? And, and it's it's it's... You know, Walker suddenly took it. Why did they take over? Does anyone know out there, like, is anyone a crisp expert who, who understands how Walker's overtook the crisp market in the way that they did? Because it was Smith's crisps, everything, wasn't it? And Golden Wonder, do you remember them as well? Smith's, or was Golden Wonder actually a Smith's crisp brand? Chipsticks were Smith's crisps, I'll tell you that much. And uh, with a salt and shake. Well, anyway, Frazzles, Smith's crisps, I saw the old... The old logo, and I was like, wow, I didn't even know they existed. Smith's Crisps, how did they fall off their perch like that? They used to advertise on the telly and everything, didn't they? There, there was an advert where um, <laughs> there was old potatoes, do you remember? There was like little animated potatoes, and they were really made up to be potatoes. They'd kind of dance around. And then their big ambition in life, do you remember this? Their big ambition in life was was not just to kind of live a, a happy potatoy life. They wanted to be made into Smith's Crisps. Do you remember? They, they had a little song. It was like, we want to be Smith's Crisps. 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 Yeah, Smith's Crisps. So Frazzles, they had a little logo on. So I had a little look and I thought, Frazzles? So I checked out the calories, and it was 87 calories. And I thought, well, that's the same as Quavers. Quavers is 86. So I couldn't choose between the two. And you know, like all these big um, philosophers say, if you can't choose between one or another, have both. That's what I did. I bought both. I thought, soddy. And um, I was expecting to have the Quavers. I went in wanting Quavers. But by the time I got home, I was too enchanted by the idea of Frazzles. 
And I know they're bacon flavour, but there's no actual bacon in them. So I'm all right to eat them as a vegetarian. It's like corn, you know. It pretends to be meat, but it isn't. Probably. <laughs> who'd know? Who'd know? Hey, who'd know? I don't eat corn. I don't like it. But who'd know if there was, you know, if they were mixing stuff in? We wouldn't know, would we? It's all on trust. So um, I got me frazzles and I thought, I'll just have a bag of these. So I had a bat of bag of fraggle. I can't talk now. I had a bag of frazzles. Say that about seven times. See if you can say it. Bag of frazzles, 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 bag of fraggle. Oh, see, you fall off. You fall off. I got to six. See if you can beat that on your first go. Hey, see if you can beat that. No, I had my first thing of frazzles. And um, and I wanted a second one. And I was watching the telly at the same time as well. So, um, <laughs> so that's a killer, isn't it? When I'm watching the telly, I want to nibble something. Who, who wouldn't want that? What normal person wouldn't want to nibble something while they're watching the telly? So I can't remember what I was watching now. What was I watching? Probably some comedy or something. That's what I normally watch. Um, I was watching Toast of London late last night. That's hilarious, isn't it, with Matt Berry? <laughs> Toast of London. That's one I recommend. It's on its third series now, so I was watching that last night, laughing my head off. Um, but I digress once again. I dig. Come on, Alan, stay on the straight and narrow. You're all over the place today. I don't want to stay on the straight and narrow. The straight and narrow's overrated. Um, where was I? Yes, yeah, so I had my first thing of frazzles, and I've, I, 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 I then had the hanker in for a second. I'll just have one more, and then I had my second bag, and I thought. I tell you what, I'll stop at three. I said, I'll stop at three. So I, I went out in the kitchen, got me third bag of frazzles. <laughs> and at the end of the third bag of frazzles, I thought, sod it, I'm bringing a whole bag in. <laughs> I'd given up at that point. And I ate seven bag of frazzles, one after the other. I left one in the bag, of course. I, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to eat them all. I didn't want to be a pig, you know. <laughs> so I ate, I ate seven bags of frazzles. And this is my point, really. This is my very long-winded, frazzle-related point. Is that a bag of frazzles is the same as one of the apples I get from Aldi. So I get these loose apples from Aldi. Royal Gala, they are. They're like big cricket ball apples. I like them ones. I can't be doing with a farty apple. What's the point of them? You know, a little farty apple. You know, I want an apple that kind of stretches your hand out a bit. That's what I want. Big apple that's like a cricket ball in your hand. And, and and so I, I get these Royal Gala apples from the Aldi. You get them loose and you can pick the nice big ones. You can kind of beat the system. <laughs> uh, and there's less packaging, of course, as well. So, you know, I'm being environmentally friendly. Yeah, so um, what was I talking about? Yeah, so that's the same calories as, as, a, as a packet of frazzles. Now, you wouldn't eat seven apples one after the other, would you? Your body would kind of go, hey, hang on, Al. No more apples, okay. Stop eating now, you're full. Because that's what food does. And junk doesn't do that. Junk, you can just keep taking it in. I wanted that eighth bag of frazzles. In fact, I wanted the eighth bag of frazzles and then wished I had another eight pack waiting for me. <laughs> that's what I wanted. But I wouldn't have done that with apples. So I made a decision, an executive decision in the moment, which was the, well, not in the moment, in, in about four days Four days worth of frazzles later, actually, it was. <laughs> I, I, when I was sat there on, on the floor of my living room 
wearing nothing but my underpants and surrounded by <laughs> a mountain of empty frazzle packets. I thought, no, this is enough. I, st- I had frazzles in my mouth still. And I thought, no, I'm going to eat food in future. I'm going to eat stuff that self-regulates. So I, can't, I couldn't eat that many vegetables or, or, or beans or, or, you know, apples or stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I've decided I'm only going to eat, eat, uh, eat actual food. And so I've been doing that, and it's it's been much easier not to eat above my calories. So I'll have like a bowl of cornflakes with almond milk, or I'll have an apple, or you know, Belvita biscuits actually pass the test. They're kind of confectionery, but they're built in such a way that they've got this kind of slow release system, so they pass as well. Or um, naked bars, because that's just pressed fruit, really, isn't it? And these things, when I eat them, they fill me up. You know, I feel as though I've had some food, so um, that's my new system, that and the uh, and the jogging. What was I going to talk to you about? I haven't even started on my list, and we're 21 minutes in. Um, yeah, nothing I've said at the moment actually is on my list. I made a little list. Oh, sod it, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter, we can freeform, we can, we can, uh, we can just, we can just riff. That's the word I was looking, we can riff. I like a verbal Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> oh dear. I'll, yeah, I have to set fire to my mouth. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, well, the reason why I wasn't here last Sunday is because I'm restart. I haven't just been restarting jogging. I, I restarted my psychotherapy training. Not simultaneously. I wasn't kind of like jogging on the spot through my lectures or anything like that. Although that might be a thing. That might be something I've just invented. Who wants to do jog therapy? What you do is you come and see me. And I sit there with, with pen and paper in a kind of reclining armchair while you're on a treadmill telling me your troubles. That might sell, mightn't it? That might be a niche. <laughs> no, I wasn't doing it at the same time. I was. Um, I went to South Manchester. Hey, it's so big now, Manchester. They've had to split it up into North and South so you know which part to go to. Hey, what, what do you think about that? It, it's such a sprawling metropolis now. That you can't just say, I'm going to Manchester. You have to say, which part of Manchester are you going? You say, I'm going to Manchester. And you're like, oh, Manchester? Well, which part? South. I'm going to, oh, South Manchester. So I went to a place called Heaton Moor. And um, it was really, I, I liked it. You know, I fell in love with, I fell out of love rather with psychotherapy a few years ago. Um, anyone who's heard the song, um, song for John Hartwell that I wrote will understand some of my misgivings about some of the power abuses that go on. And so I majorly fell out of love with psychotherapy. Um, the whole, the whole, um, the whole world of it was driving me a little bit crackers in and of itself, but I never really lost the love for it and, and for those sorts of personal development ideas. And in the end I thought, right, I'm going back, I'm restarting my training. And it was a new center um, not against the old centre particularly, but it was just a nice fresh start. And I really enjoyed the two days. And the weird thing is, I, I met somebody who's also on the course. I think she's from down south, judging by the accent initially. She lives in Yorkshire now, but she used to live in the same street because she lived in Liverpool for like over a decade. And she lived in the very same street as me, the street that I grew up in as a little lad. What do you make of that? Hey, what you what what an uncanny coincidence! So um so yeah that happened, and um, let's see what else have we got. 
blah de blah de blah Oh, I tell you what, improv. You know, I've been building this little improv troupe of a, of a Tuesday night. Well, we got two new members on Tuesday, so we're up to five members. And we absolutely nailed it. Do you know, like, I've had this kind of creative vision in my mind for a while that you should be able to use improv just to create a full-length play live in front of an audience, just completely on the fly. So an audience member will give you a suggestion. You'll go, right, you take the suggestion and you just produce a full-length play. So it's never been scripted before. You're just making it up on the spot in front of the audience. And what I always thought was, well, every improviser can do a three or four minute scene. So what I need to do as the person with the creative vision is to create a structure where everybody knows the kind of structural purpose of that scene. Because in any story, there's, there's like a, a structural purpose to it. You know, so if you think of like, um, well, any film that you've ever seen, really, you'll, you'll always start off with like, you see their life as it is now and... And then something happens that thrusts them into a new world. So at the beginning of a story, like a film or a play, you'll see that happening because there are structural purposes to, to any story that's well told. And I thought if I could kind of crack that in terms of how that would work for improv, then everyone would be going on to a new scene, knowing roughly what the kind of dramatic purpose of the scene is, even though the content would obviously be completely made up on the spot. And I thought, if I could kind of just make fellow improvisers safe with a really good structure that I've devised, then given that everyone can do a three or four minute scene, then all you're doing really is a collection of three or four minute scenes. This is how I think, you see, it's, I'm kind of a systemic thinker. And so when I'm doing like a big project, you know, like I used to be like the director of the Working Class Life and Music Festival, the way I would think about that is I'm not doing a project. I'm doing a series of tasks. And so I'd start at the end point and I'd plan it backwards. And um, so I, I thought the same when it came to a, an improvised play. But the, we kind of did it. And I was, I, was, I was showing the new members everything that we've learned, really, and everything that I've come up with um, over the last eight weeks. And I had an idea that I would show them the second half of what I wanted to show them. Um, next week but you know when something just flows it's a bit like uh, when I'm songwriting I refer to it as like a man on a unicycle so you've got something and you just carry on until you fall off that kind of happened in the improv rehearsal you know we did our opening three scenes that I, I wanted to show people and I was going to show them the rest of the stuff afterwards and then one of the improvisers Mike said well I know what's going to happen next and I just thought well, sod it let's see it off we go and it carried on. We had the story and we did another one and got through to the kind of end, really. And it was amazing. And in in the... I was I was playing one of the characters. Funnily enough, all the, all the men were playing women and all the women were playing men. It was like, like Panto. I love Panto. Don't you love Panto? I'd love to be a pantomime villain. Boo! All the kids going, boo! Boo! I'd be like, shut up, you horrible little blighters. <laughs> I'd love that. That'd be great. Boo! <laughs> yeah, Panto would be good, I think. That'd be, a, that'd be a scream. That'd be a good laugh. Yeah, so it was a bit like that. But um, in, in actually being part of this story that we created, all the fuzzy bits, because I had a very clear idea but just in the second half, or the first half of the play, I was I, 
little things were merging. I was I just wanted to tease them apart, and we kind of did that together. So when I analysed the, the what we'd done, I thought I need to analyse this because there's something golden in that, and I don't want to lose it. And in the analysis afterwards of what had actually happened, I've come up now with a full structure for the first half of a play. And when I say the first half of a play, the first half of a play would actually work as a, as a shorter full play as well. So I was really, really pleased. And uh, I was walking around the house, strutting around like a clever clogs. Um, once I'd, I'd written out that structure and sent it to everybody. So that's good because that puts us like, that puts us to the point now where we just have to rehearse that for a few weeks running and, and we're probably performance ready for at least a shortened, like a half hour play. And then we can start on the second half, um, which I think possibly foolishly is going to be a little bit clearer structurally than what we've just managed. So, um, so yeah, uh, what else um, do I need to tell you? I tell you what's been quite interesting. Do you know I teach non-violent communication? I call it connecting communication because I think it's a better name. Well, it was a big, it's kind of like an, an obscure thing. Not a lot of people know about it, unfortunately, which is why I'm teaching it. It's my mission to spread the world of this way, to, to view the world differently so we have less conflict and get our needs met more of the time. But... There was a little bit of splash about it in the business press, would you believe? You no, know, Forbes magazine, or I think it was Forbes magazine. One of those kind of businessy mags, anyway. Because there's this guy, and he's called Satya Nadella. And he is the chief exec of Microsoft, the software company. Now, Microsoft has been losing its grip a little bit because as things become more in the cloud and... There's just less call for Microsoft stuff now than there used to be. It used to be absolutely essential. But now you've got like the Apple operating system, you know, Chrome are doing their kind of netbooks. And yet Microsoft is much less relevant than it used to be. And on top of that, it was a company that apparently was riddled with all sorts of infighting. So they got this new chief executive officer in, this guy called Satya Nadella. And one of the first things he did is he started to, to teach his very senior management non-violent communication. The very same ideas that I'm teaching to organisations uh, at the moment. And it completely turned the company around. So there's been a big spotlight on non-violent communication, or as I call it, connecting communication. I call it connecting communication, by the way, because... You don't, you don't have to be a violent person in order for this to be for you. It's actually about how do you connect to other people in such a way that everyone's needs get met and there's no conflict. That's what it's all about, really. So I like to call it connecting communication. And he's turned the company around. He's, got, he's increased morale. He's got rid of the infighting culture. And he's managed to produce $250 billion worth of profit, which is crazy, isn't it? So... So that was nice, really, to see something that I've been kind of beating the drum on, on the fringes, really, um, get such remarkable results. So if anyone would like to, to know what that is, connecting communication, what Microsoft have been using, get in touch with me. I'm on al at parisongs.co.uk, and I'll come and, do, I'll come and do a workshop for you, like a nice introductory workshop to nonviolent communication, or as I call it, connecting communication. So that was kind of interesting. I mentioned, by the way, didn't I, um, 
Oh, was it last podcast? I I was reading a book. I forgot. I've forgotten completely that I've been reading this book. I'll have to go back to it. It's called Principles by Ray Dalio. And it's basically as he went through life, he started writing down his principles. So that a set of rules, really. So that if he experienced something again, he'd be able to refer to his kind of rules and say, oh, that's another one of those things. It might look a little bit different, but it's, it's essentially one of those things that I, de- I dealt with two years ago. And this is how I decided in advance how I'd deal with it should it come up again. Well, I came up with one. Because I've found it really useful to limit my food like to an eight-hour period, and that helps me stay within my calories. I realised that one of the things that I do is I'm a bit of a spendaholic online. So I'll, I'll, especially with like books and stuff. So I'll buy books and other stuff online. And it's like I'm not spending money. But I am spending money. I'm spending a lot of money um, on, on this online buying. Because you're just pressing a button. You're not like having to count the money out like it, like like you used to in the olden days. And uh, so what I decided is I would only buy stuff on a Wednesday. And that's worked because Wednesday came round and I decided that I already had enough stuff going on. You know, like audio books and things like that. I already had stuff going on that I was reading. Um, and so I decided not only did I not buy anything. See, when I, when I, when I, here's, here's how it worked, right? I'd see a book and I'd think, right, I want that book. And so I would, I would instead of buying it, I put it on a list. I wrote it on a list that I wanted that book. And then on the Wednesday, which is my only day that I'm allowed to buy such stuff, I looked at my list and then I looked at what I was reading at the moment and I decided oh, I didn't need to buy anything yet, but I still haven't forgotten. So it's worked that. It's worked this idea of if you want to limit something, like the amount of time you spend, the amount of calories you spend, the amount of money you spend or anything else. If you give yourself a time limit and respect the time limit, that really helps. That's what I've found. I've saved an absolute fortune just in the last two weeks because I've not bought anything. So that's good, isn't it? That's good when you read a book and you put something into action and then it works. Um, yeah, the, the books I'm reading at the moment is I'm reading The Gift of Therapy, by Irvin Yalom, who's a very experienced therapist. That's a really good book, that, and um, I'm halfway through that. I've started reading again, because I'm on my therapy phase. I've started reading a book by Barry Duncan called What's Right With You, and the philosophy of that I really like, because people always focus on what's wrong with you when you go into a therapy room, but in actual fact, we're all dead resourceful, aren't we? We're all kind of... um, And it's natural to look at blocks, and it's probably important to as well. But what's more important is to look at what resources you've got. Because we've all all been up against it in the past, haven't we? We've all overcome a problem. And so we know how to do it. We, We need to tap into what our actual natural resources are. So rather than making the therapist the hero of the story, they make the person going through the struggle the hero of the story. And I like that a lot better. So I've been reading that, What's Right With You by Barry Duncan. And as I just said, I've completely forgotten, but I need to go back to reading some more of Ray Dalio's principles and see what more I can come up with because it's already started to help, as I said. The two that I've got my, my eye on is one is called Story Brand by Donald Miller. And I think it's just how better to tell your story, how better to tell people what you do basically for a living in a way which is a bit more interesting. And I really like Donald Miller. I did a, an online course of his 
oh, a couple of years ago now, quite a few years ago now, which implemented some of the ideas of, of Viktor Frankl, and I found it so, so useful. In fact, I might go and do it again at some point soon and um, see what I'll come up with for that, uh, going through it a second time round. But I like his writing, so I'll, I want to buy his book, uh, which has only just come out, Story Brand. And the other book that I, I downloaded a sample of it and started reading is something called Overcoming Anger and Irritability. And I think it's by a guy named William Davis. And the reason I'm interested in this is because I think when people become angry, what, what what's a good idea, I think, is to try and get, get people to a place, me included, where you're moving more into kind of your executive adult, as we would say in transactional analysis. So you actually start to kind of um, not let your anger control you, but start to go, okay, I'm angry, there's something behind this. And, and this is a lot about what nonviolent communication is about as well, because when we, when we have like a, a, a need, uh, sorry, when we have a, a feeling like a distressed feeling, it's because we've got a, an unmet need in us. And so if we, can, if we can quickly move from the emotion and, and get in touch with the, um, or quickly move from the judgment really, feel the emotion and then let that emotion lead us to the need, then we're in our executive adult and we can actually come up with a strategy to meet that need and then we're happier as a result. The problem is, how do you get from the red mist to executive adult? And I know when I've been kind of coaching people as well, that's a problem that's come up a number of times because there's all these strategies in the world, but they all look kind of ridiculous on paper when you think of how are you going to do that when you're really angry? So I thought I'd read this book overcoming anger and irritability because I think it might give me it well it might make me a more powerful coach and, and, and therapist you know in future if I'm able to give people real strategies of how to move into a more executive place when the red mist descends when that really hurtful anger kind of comes up hurtful as in hurtful for the person experiencing it never mind anyone who's at the other end of it so I'd, I'd like to read that as well because it looked really interesting uh, and well-researched. So they're, they're my kind of book things going on, either that I'm reading at the moment or that I want to read next. And, and I'm listening to, um, where are we? We're, we're nearly 40 minutes. I'll shut up in a minute. But it's, it's been lovely talking to you again because um, I didn't, didn't get to do this last week. And then it was two weeks the, the week before that as well. So um, yeah, I've, I've missed you. I've missed you. That's all I can say. I've missed you. <clears throat> but I've been listening to, while I've been doing drives and stuff like that, because I've had a couple of gigs, haven't I? And um, yeah, and I've been driving up to uh, South Manchester, not just Manchester, but South Manchester. <laughs> I've been listening to Richard Herring's Leicester Square podcast, which is dead funny. And uh, I recommend you get onto them if you're a podcast listener. And you are, because you're listening to this. If you're hearing this, you're a podcast listener. Yeah, don't deny yourself. Like like my mum always says, she's not a songwriter. And I say, well, you've written songs, haven't you? And she says, yes, but I'm not a songwriter. That's a funny one, isn't it? Yes, you are, mother. You're a songwriter. You've written lots of songs. So um, let's see. Uh, it was my mum and dad's 55th wedding anniversary um, on the 6th. So not this Friday just gone, but the Friday before that. So I went to see them. And... Um, we went to see Ian Prowse as well. I went with them to uh, Ian Prowse, the, the, the singer from Amsterdam and Pele. 
he had like an in conversation with at the British Music Experience. So I went with my mum and dad because uh, they, they love Prowsey as well. And um, it was dead interesting, you know, hearing about some of the stuff he's done. So there was quite a bit I didn't know myself, even though we're mates. And um, I got a bit of a round of applause at one point um, for having written Desi Warren. Um, I did get the impression, mind you, that when Ian said, um, he actually called me the great Alan Parry. So I've, I've been upgraded there. Yeah, I'm like Britain. <laughs> so he, he referred to me and then and then clapped his hands to invite the audience. And you know when you get the sense that you're getting an applause and, and you, you can <laughs> you can get a distinct sense from the audience that they're going, yeah, who, who's this? Who are we clapping? Who, <laughs> who's this fella? I've never heard of him. I got that kind of impression, but it was still it was still very nice nonetheless. Thank you for your applause. But in the aftermath, there was a couple of um, people there, Teresa and Sean from St. Helens, who came to my St. Helens gig. And they came to watch me because they heard of the song My Name Is Desi Warren. So they're Ian Prowse fans. And they got into Ian Prowse because they went to see uh, Damien Dempsey. So it's funny how music goes, isn't it? They went to see Damien Dempsey. Ian was supporting him. They liked Ian. So they went to see Ian. They heard My Name Is Desi Warren, found out I'd written it. So then come to see me. This is how music works. It's fabulous, isn't it? It's like a lovely little chain. But anyway, they've heard the song on the train from Barcelona, which is which is all about what happened um, to me mum and dad on the way home because they went in 1962 for their honeymoon and there were flash floods. Now, my mum and dad did their whole All Our Yesterdays thing on their, on their anniversary for me, which was lovely because I found out loads of things I didn't know. And one of the things I found out that... See, I, I, I tell the story and I just say, oh, there were flash floods so they had to improvise coming home. These floods actually killed a 1,000 people. They weren't just any old flood. So back home, they must have been frantic, I suppose, about my mum and dad. Because it's the, it was the worst floods still in Spanish history that they were involved in. And that's why they had to stay so long. And that's why they ended up getting this kind of ramshackle train out of Barcelona. Because all their plans had just gone AWOL. I mean, I, th I think some rail track had been actually washed away in the, in the floods. But it was just under a thousand people lost their lives in that, in that flood. So really serious... Uh, Really serious event, really. I didn't realise it was such a big thing. I thought it was like, you know when you get like a, a flood over in and you see people on the news walking round and they're in their wellies up to their thighs, that kind of stuff. But it was like horrendous floods, you know, where just under a thousand people died. So I learned that. But um, yeah, so that song really has more meaning to me now because it tells the story of them coming away from a, a genuine disaster, really. Um yeah, it was a happy song. It was one of my happier songs, and now it's got this. <laughs> now it's got the, this more. Um, oh, what's the word? More morbid overtone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I finally do a song that's not about industrial accidents, and it turns out to be about the the, the biggest flood disaster in Spanish history. Nice one. Um, but anyway, the reason I'm telling you this is it was their fifty fifth wedding anniversary. I found out all this stuff, and. Um, on the Train from Barcelona is my song about their wedding itself, their honeymoon, in fact. And so when we went to Prowsey's thing, of course, Teresa and Sean have got my albums now because they came to see me in St. Helens, got my albums. And I sung on the Train from Barcelona when I did the St. Helens gig that Teresa and Sean were at. And I'd forgotten all this. So um, 
we were having a chat afterwards and I said, anyway, I'm going to have to go because my mum and dad are here waiting for us to leave, you know. And uh, and Teresa goes, oh, is that your mum and dad? And I was like, yeah. And I was thinking, why is she so excited? at the idea? And she thought, maybe it's just, I thought maybe she just thinks it's kind of a, a cuddly thing that someone's mum and dad is there, you know, like a kind of a cute thing. Like, oh, bless, look at them. <laughs> but of course it was the song. So she was really keen to meet them. And um, I think my dad, my dad did a ceremonial bow at one point because she was all over my dad as the as the as he was the hero of the song, really the hero of the moment um, in that true story. So he did some something of a ceremonial bow to accept the accolades that were being poured <laughs> poured on him there by Teresa and Sean. So that was uh, that was an, a nice event. Obviously, fifty five years, eh? Fifty five years to be married. Um, and they were married apparently on that. You know the church that you see on Match of the Day when Everton are at home. They've got a home game. That church that you'll see. That's where they were married, and it was a it was a home game, apparently. And of course, my dad's a Liverpool fan. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave you alone. You know, I've got I've got loads of things on my list that I just haven't told you. But you know, I can't keep prattling on forever. You'll get sick of me. You, you, I mean, you might not even hear this. You might have gone already. I've no way. I've no way of knowing. Are you still there? Hello? Oh, I think you might have gone. Well, if you haven't gone, right, this is just between me and all of you haven't gone. And, and if you can hear this, that means you. That means you. <laughs> I'm going to go now. And I'm going to leave you with the song of the week now, as I've told you before. I never know what the song of the week is at this point. Because once I finish gabbing, I, I press stop on the recorder. And then what I do is... I, I, I go on to random.org and I tell it to, to, to give me a random number between number one and however many songs I've got recorded. And it gives me a number and then I find it on my list and I play it to you. So it's completely random. So uh, do you want the song of the week? Of course you do. You want the song of the week. Anyway, it's been lovely catching up with you. I hope you have a great week. I haven't even told you what I'm doing. It's mostly coaching as ever. Um, so that's that's fun. I do love the coaching, you know. Um, so I'll be doing a lot of that next week, as as usual. Um, I'm going to try and have a little bit of a rest as well. Um, so I'll see you next Sunday. I can't see any reason why I wouldn't see you next Sunday. So uh, it won't be as long anymore. It'll be a short time. It won't be long, yeah, 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 yeah. It won't be long, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 it won't belong, yeah, yeah, till I belong to you. There you go, better the Beatles. That wasn't the song of the week. It wasn't even in my key. <laughs> I'm not sure which harmony I was doing there. I was thinking as I was coming over to the last line, I don't know what this last line is tune-wise quite as well. So I think I did, a, I did more of a harmony line, didn't I? Anyway, let's have the proper song of the week. And until next Sunday... Until next Sunday. Oh, don't be a stranger. Why don't you write to me in the meantime? I'd like I'd like to hear your questions or readers' letters would be good. Readers' letters would be good. Hear your opinion as well and I'll I'll read them out. I'll read them out. Even if you call me names. If you call me names, I'll I'll read them out as well. It can be like some sort of some sort of like um, virtual stocks where you where you throw cabbages at me. Um or you can be nice. That'd be nice too, wouldn't it? That'd be okay. You could be nice to me as well. But get in touch. You know what they say in in uh, in, in psychology? Um, bad strokes are better than no strokes. But good strokes are better still. 
So I'll see you next Sunday. Here's the song of the week. Tati, bye! My father's name is Alec. He's a most respectful man. He upholds the laws and customs of society when he can. He's not the kind to shout and swear unless he's at the match. But here's a tale I'll share with you of when he flipped his latch on the train from Barcelona in 1962. My dad fought for the dignity of folk like me and you. Though a soldier's heading home from leave sat on each other's heads. The were breastfeeding mothers trying to keep their babies fed. There were women there with children, there was old and fur of face. All tightly crammed together in the tiniest of space. On the train from Barcelona in 1962. Me dad fought for the dignity of folk like me and you. He said, I've never seen such crowded squalor in me life. It isn't fit for cattle, never mind me brand new wire. So he marched her to the first class coach, so spacious and so grand. But a most officious ticket guard had a very different plan. On the train from Barcelona in 1962, me dad fought for the dignity of folk like me and you. The guard, he poked me mother Just beneath the shoulder blade And yelled, get out! But that's the worst mistake he could have made Me dad grabbed his lapels And lifted him into the air Then saw a coat hook up above And he hung the bugger there On the train from Barcelona In 1962 me dad fought for the dignity of folk like me and you Now the ending of this story, I swear to you is true He demanded extra carriages for comforts is our due And the carriages were added, so me dad, he got his way as they all stretched out, they lauded him, the hero of the day. On the train from Barcelona in 1962, we dad fought for the dignity of folk like me and you. On the train from Barcelona in 1962, we dad fought for the dignity of folk like me and you.